Hello, welcome to Moms Changing the World. This is your host, Akua Walker, Child Development Nurse Practitioner and CEO, Chief Encouragement Officer, introducing the new podcast, which is the place for moms to find encouragement, hope, and inspiration, where we're supporting moms in the trenches of motherhood. You will receive practical tips and strategies to address the developmental needs of your children with a positive parenting perspective in mind. Here at Moms Changing the World, we are moms on the journey of changing the world, one child at a time, one day at a time. Hello, Moms Changing the World. This is your host, Akua Walker, Child Development Nurse Practitioner, Parent Coach, and CEO, your Chief Encouragement Officer, as you are moms changing the world, one child at a time, one day at a time. I'm excited to bring you another interview with a mom who's doing the same. You know, if you've been around here, that we're on a journey to understand children with neurodiversity. And when I got to know about this next mom, I knew she'd be a perfect guest to have on the show because she not only has one child with neurodiversity, but four. Veronica Hunter has a background in a variety of experiences before kids as a patented R&D scientist, chemistry teacher, quality assurance specialist, and IT project manager for biotech industry. Yet her experiences with her own four neurodiverse kids opened a new world of passion. Navigating the worlds of ADHD, anxiety, and dyslexia, she wanted to understand deeply what is going on for kids, and more importantly, how to support them. It took her four years to put the picture together, and she now helps other families smooth their road and save time, money, and frustration by quickly connecting them to the help they need to grow a happy and healthy family. I love the story that she tells about seeing a mom post on Facebook, my child was diagnosed with ADHD, what now? She asked. When the answer from other parents was, start your research, Veronica knew she had a better answer. So she put together the virtual event, ADHD, what now? And seeing the response to the 20 plus experts she had gathered, she saw just how many parents needed this big picture of options to streamline their progress. Now, Veronica is the founder of ADHD What Now, a perfect name, and you can find it at whatnowadhd.com and helps parents make their unique ADHD action plan for their child and then helps them dive deep into the questions to support their unique neurodiverse kids. As I mentioned, her website, ADHDWhatNow.com, is a great place to find her. And then on Facebook, you can also connect with her at Child with ADHD What Now Facebook group and on Instagram. Veronica, so excited to have you here today. Welcome. It is a real honor and a pleasure. And I just value so much the message that you bring to families and encouragement. I appreciate that. And you do as well. And it sounds like your your journey, and I think I, we can kind of relate in that mothers often are just going along their thing, going along their merry way. And then as we are blessed with children, we never know what's going to come up right for them along the way. And so we're excited to dive into your story around that today and how you support others on the same journey. 
So yeah, I was able to share a little bit in the bio, but why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself in your own words, your kids, you know, and what your life looks like these days. All right. So right now I do have four kids in four years. They're all in elementary school too. And so actually with them in elementary school, life is far easier than it was when it was a few years ago and you were having to buckle four sets of car seats all at the same time (laughs) to go anywhere. I can't even imagine. Kudos to you. Four sets of teeth every (laughs) night. (laughs) Yeah. That was a little bit, just the intensity of all of that physical needs was intense, but um, sure, sure. So yeah, things change over time, but I'm grateful for for the journey that has happened. And I think one of the things you sometimes ask about is, is what did you expect motherhood to be? Or like, what did you want that to look like? Um, And I don't, I, I, I remember a time I was sitting, I just had babies and I was feeding them and I had, or even in going to before having babies, right. We went right. pregnant on a baby moon <laughs> and I went and I sat on the beach and we were in Aruba. I sat on the beach with my parenting book and I'm going to learn how to be a good parent So like I had all these visions of I'm going to be this amazing mom and it's going to be wonderful. Yeah. Um, and then we got to, I think like four or five years of age. And I, and I was like, I'm going to, I'm going to be able to take my child to the grocery store. So I took one of, one of the older kids to the grocery (laughs) store and I'm like, we're going to learn how to do this and be, and be productive in shopping. And I spent more time chasing the child down the aisle, (laughs) trying to keep hands off of things than actually putting anything inside the cart. And then we got to the checkout line and the mom turned around, like a mom behind me was like, you know, when my kid was that age, I left them at home. (laughs) This is okay. This is not what I expected motherhood to be like. Right. (laughs) Running down the aisle of the grocery store after kids. Where's that that vision I had when I was on the beach? (laughs) Oh, it's like, okay, welcome to reality. Welcome to reality. Exactly. Mm -hmm. So you never know where life will take you. But the thing is too, it's a, it can be a beautiful and amazing journey and it's, it can be a hard time though, before you put together that picture and understand it, it's, it's challenging and it's frustrating and it's exhausting and all those things. But I think once you have some understanding of what's going on for each individual unique child, and then some idea of how to support them so that you can feel hopeful for their future, then you can really relax into it and enjoy the journey. So, yeah, yeah, that's great. That's great. And you know, speaking of shopping and, and, you know, it's the practical way I like to start a lot of our interviews is with food, you know, and I think about, you know, I feel like feeding, you know, the family of four can feel like an army. I, you know, I can't imagine the six, right. Or more, right. And so how do you feed, you know, kind of that crew, right. Cook and feed for such a large group and they're young and, you know, have various taste buds. And so what tips do you have for us in that regard? Sure. Uh, one, part or thing to realize, I think, especially if we're talking about neurodiversity is that picky eating actually often goes along with that. And that was something that I didn't appreciate. And I didn't hear talked about very often. I remember also pre-kids and really understanding kids. I, somebody, we went to a potluck dinner and I brought my food. They had kids. And I said, Oh, I didn't bring anything kid-friendly. And they're like, that's okay. Our kids eat anything. All we did was have them take a few tastes of, of uh, three bites of every piece of food. I was like, okay, good. That's the secret. It'll be easy. Yeah, <laughs> That's yeah. what yes. I'll do. Yes. And then reality sunk in when I had my own kids and that just didn't work for our family. 
But yeah. um, so one, I think is just to be, give grace to yourself. Right. And, yeah. and to appreciate that, but how do I feed them? My favorite, because you talk about meals, right? My favorite right. thing to do that I find easy is to make chicken soup in the instant pot. So one day yeah. I'll put the chicken in and it, I don't measure anything. It's just like, then I can just throw in <laughs> right. the carrots, the onions, the whatever, cook it. And then I take that broth. I mean, then I have the cooked chicken, right. For that right. one meal and perhaps right. the vegetables. And then I take the broth and I use the broth to make rice as my mm. means to get, you know, all those good nutrients, nutrients into the yeah. kids that are picky eaters because they'll eat plain rice yeah. with big, made with water. They'll also eat plain rice made right. with broth exclusively. Broth. So they get some more into their bodies. Those nutrients. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's a double, a double winner, right? And the yeah. Instapot, yeah, where you can kind of set it and forget it is, is great. We've often used it at least once a week in the, in some seasons of life. And I love that soups now, like, especially kind of in the winter months, are a definite go-to in the fall as well. And I try to mix it up. And my kids just love the standard chicken noodle soup. But I'm originally from Ghana. So we also do kind of a, a tomato-based uh, soup that's our kind of light soup. And they actually, we also do peanut butter in a soup, you know, a peanut butter soup. So they enjoy that as well. So there's so many ways you can go, right? With the chicken broth or, you know, whatever, you know, meat you like, or even not, you know, they use veggie broth for all of these uh, recipes as well. So, mm-hmm. do you have that yeah. peanut butter one someplace? Right. You know, I, I need to write it down. I'm I'm kind of perfecting it for my mom, so I'm trying to get her to write it down, so then I can just keep passing it along. <laughs> that would be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Good. So then, you know, I shared a little bit about kind of where this all started, but I'm curious as far as you know, finding the passion and turning you know your journey into a way to support others. You know, how did that come together? for you. Mm -hmm. So on this journey of figuring out what was going on for my kiddo, I noticed a few things. For example, one day I was in the psychologist office. He was, I was taking him, this was two years or so into after a diagnosis of ADHD and trying to figure out what's going on for him. And so he, I was waiting to pick him up from the appointment and in there, there was another mom with her kiddo and her kiddo was kind of like bouncing around and We had been in occupational therapy for a few years at that point. So to me, I was like, okay, this kid probably needs some occupational support for for sensory processing. So I asked the psychologist who was an amazing psychologist um, Mm -hmm. about sensory processing. And she, like her answer was like, she didn't have training in that area essentially. So Mm -hmm. I didn't know that she, it seemed to me that she wouldn't cross refer to a sense Mm -hmm. to an occupational therapist, right? Mm -hmm. Other specialists. And so that was just one moment where it was like, there is a gap in the system, so to speak, Mm -hmm, because people mm -hmm. need that kind of cross-training. Because if that kiddo is going through life Mm -hmm. without that sensory support, he's just not going to be able to step into his fullness of of who he is because there's this blockade that can be addressed. So it was just one of those turning point moments where it's like, I don't want this for other kids and it doesn't have to be that way. So how is there anything that I can do to make the journey easier? It was two more years before somebody then asked that Mike child has ADHD. What do I do now? And the answer was start your research. And I'm like, oh my yeah. gosh, there's like, it can be easier. Right. <laughs> it right. doesn't have to be that hard. Yes. yes. I'm glad you mentioned this because this is, you know, this is my world as a specialist in development and behavior and I know oh, I'm assessing children. Yeah. With ADHD all the time. So this is a good place, I think, first like to define ADHD and sensory processing and some of these terms that for some are just second nature, but for some are, are new. 
So, you know, as far as ADHD, it stands for attention deficit and hyperactivity disorder. And it basically describes a difference, a brain difference in attention, self-regulation or self-management. Any goal-directed activity is going to be a challenge when ADHD is a part of the picture. And if you imagine, you know, that we take for granted, right, if we're, you know, we're trying to get some homework, you know, done and turned in, right, we have to break it down. We have to figure out, okay, what steps do I need to take? We need to make sure that our environment is conducive to actually doing that homework. We need to manage our feelings about it. Maybe I'm not motivated to do it. Maybe I am. And then we have to manage distractions. There's going to be other people, other kids, other things, the pet, the cat, right, uh, going on around. I might feel hungry. And so I need to maybe hold off on having a snack or figure out a good time to take a break to get that snack. And then I need to, you know, complete the work. I need that. And I'm at home and this needs to get to my teacher. So I need to make a plan for how to get it into my folder. And I put it into the backpack so that for tomorrow when I see the teacher and it's time to turn in, I get to the right place. And, on, 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 on. <laughs> and yep. so for a young child or for even older children or even adults, all of those steps and all of the things involved in that can be an overwhelming and daunting task. And so with ADHD, that is, um, that's kind of the big picture of what a lot of the, the challenges you know, are. And then as far as sensory processing, that comes into play in that we all have different, we all have senses that allow us to experience the world. And so we learn from a very young age how to interpret what the different senses mean, right? We interpret you know, what, what the different smells of things in our environment are and what, what we're seeing, what's safe and what we're hearing, what's not safe, what's too much you know, heat uh, versus not enough. Like, you know, we, we're learning all of these things, how to move and balance and control our body. And we rely on our brain to help us interpret the meaning and then use it moving forward. And so when sensory processing or interpreting all of this sensory information is a challenge, then it makes the goal-directed activity that I was talking about earlier much more challenging <clears throat> as well. And so we can see sensory processing as a part of a variety of things. We can see it with ADHD. We can see it with autism. We can see it with even anxiety and depression. Like we can see it, especially in young children, manifest in a variety of ways. And so it takes a variety of uh, specialists in order to address you know, these different um, aspects of development. So where did you start with helping your child and children kind of understand what's going on? Helping them to understand what's going on or my understanding what was going on for well, them? Your, yours first. <laughs> yeah. Where did I start? So I didn't know where to start, right? Like I went home and yeah. I started Googling and I was like, what is that sensory processing? What is ODD? What are all these things? I had no idea how an OT was different than an occupational therapist was different from a physical therapist. And so there's a big potential learning curve. And that's where I think it can be easier if you have a guide walking you through that quickly. But so what did we do? I started in the mental health realm, but then we we moved away from that location and then didn't continue that service. Occupational therapy, which was fantastic. It took two years to figure out that there was also, besides ADHD and sensory processing, there was also an expressive receptive language delay. Uh, language disorders are often very common as well and often go under identified. It kind of, what, what I came to realize is that, that we have all these names for things, but really it's just that the brain is kind of putting, it's so complex in how it puts itself together, right? And, and we have terms to describe things, but they so often 
there's so many places that they are similar, right? Or like, I don't know if I'm describing that that exactly. Yeah, well. They overlap. <laughs> they overlap. Everything overlaps. Yeah, the brain doesn't uh, compartmentalize things super well, right? Like it, it has to integrate all of this in order for us to survive and to thrive yeah. and to do right. everything that we need to do every day. So absolutely. Absolutely. So eventually then I also like beginning to understand dyslexia that runs in my family and then biochemistry challenges that our family has that also contribute to symptoms. But by the process of going through and figuring out each little piece of that puzzle, what happened was that 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 little kid who couldn't go grocery shopping at all (laughs) at the time. Now a few years later, Mm. it's like that that hyperactive kind of impulsive drive where there was no ability to really cognitively choose that has been reduced substantially. And now like he's just, he's being supported in terms of growing those executive function skills and getting strategies in place. But when you take out some of these, these roadblocks, like inflammation and other things like that, that can, that can just be affecting the body so deeply, then those cognitive abilities open up as more, more potential with ADHD. Mm. It's not always about, it's definitely not about willpower, right? Right. Not try harder harder. by any means, but Also, when you, when you can just help make it more accessible, it's, it's very helpful. So yeah, my kiddo now is doing fantastic and I'm hopeful. I mean, yes, there are still supports, like I said, and it's a journey, but it's a world of difference from the, the one in the kiddo in the grocery store. <laughs> right. And again, you know, as adults, we might just take it for granted that, you know, we can walk into this huge, you know, room essentially with all these aisles of all these different, you know, foods and supplies and then all the different smells of the bakery and the, you know, meat. We can, we just, our brain has done it so many times that we can just, you know, organize it and or handle it right with all the people doing their thing or we might you know we figured out that if i make a list for myself then i can focus on what i need to get and then for me i get a flow in the store right i've done it so many times and i kind of know where the things that i want are that i can just kind of make my way through the store in the flow you know that gets me everything i need by the time i get to the cash register but you can, you know, just think back on a little child, right? A little child's experience in all of that information is can easily be sensory overload. And when you're, you know, kind of when your hard drive, right? Or when your motherboard, right, is not able to make sense of all of that or help you navigate all of that, that can be really, really hard. Mm-hmm. It can. And what is beautiful about what that you just said is that with practice and repetition, you can improve, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. So that, you know, that's a great, you know, connection or next step lead into, yeah, you know, what are some of the things that you put into place for your child and then children, you know, as the picture evolved? What are some of the things that I put into place? Well, I think one of the first steps to really recognize is that it's a complex picture because this tends to run in families too. Right. So really one of one of the first things that I recommend is just for your own self, evaluate do you does your nervous system need to be calmed down? Right. In some way shape or form, but that took a, a lot of time to figure that mm-hmm. out because I think mm-hmm. that when you take your kid to some place, they your your focus is on and taking my child and helping them, yes. right? And then and then the practitioners that you're working with aren't necessarily 
going to to talk about what your role is. Maybe some do, but mm-hmm. it's got to be uncomfortable for them, right? Because that's not why you're there in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> but it's a really important part of the picture. So just for yourself, what do you need? What do you need to calm your nervous system? And that is a, a very good first step. What else did I put in place for him? I mean, ultimately, we've done a bunch of different therapy, including things like vision therapy, occupational therapy, the speech and language, which I love and I think is underutilized as far as supporting Mm -hmm. kids with ADHD. Mm -hmm. Um, And each one of those kind of took a kind of a block out of a a roadblock out of the way to make his path a bit easier. Mm -hmm. Um, And yeah, I think it was just, it's a lot about building your team. So as the parent, like my role, Mm -hmm. viewing my role too, as bringing in the team that's going to be supported as we need as we learn and grow. So like right now, maybe I need this support. Now we've done that a few years later, maybe we need this support and just learning how to be that team manager, almost like a baseball right. team manager, bringing in special teams right. when you need right. them. Yeah. Yeah. I, the analogy I use when I'm working with families is, you know, it's like almost like when you're getting a diagnosis or even not, like you can think of parenting as, as you're now the driver of the bus of your child's bus, right? You can, you know, kind of imagine that your child is on this bus and you are at the steering wheel, you know, driving and navigating this bus. And so when you, you know, come go to your doctor, maybe you start off by mentioning, gosh, you know, these things are happening with my child and the child's behavior. You're uh, inviting the doctor or the nurse practitioner or the, you know, health professional to come on the bus and to spend some time with your child and you to figure out what's going on. And they may give you a diagnosis or they may say, I want to send you to another specialist or I want to send you here. And so they might get off the bus for a little while, but then and another specialist comes on or they might stay on the bus and work together with the other specialists as a team. And so when the, say the sensory, I'm sorry, yeah, you realize a sensory issue and you want to bring the occupational therapist on the bus for a while, they're going to be a part of that team too. And they're going to work with your child, but maybe when they meet the goals, then they get off the bus, but they're a resource for you. You can go back and swing by by them, pick them up later on if you need to, when you need to for your child, the child's best functioning. And because you're the constant in this for your child, right? Other people are going to come and go, therapists will come and go, but you're the constant. And so I love that you started off your previous answer with it had to start with you as the mom or you as the parent, right? Figuring out what's my piece in this? How can I make sure that I'm in the best space to, you know, help and work with my child? And that's a big part of, you know, the system that I help families with. So my system is called Be Calm because it's for the parents to work through how to be calm in those situations. And just overall, as you're trying to help your children also calm, soothe, and regulate themselves. And so um, as a, an acronym, you know, all of the, the, beat, the letters, you know, stand for different aspects of it, whether you're breathing or empathizing or you're connecting or you're, you know, asking and listening for the right, you know, asking the questions and listening for the response and really mending and supporting your child. It's, it's really huge to focus on us first, right? As the parents with or without diagnoses involved, we all as parents need to have a, a, a way to be calm and regulate ourselves. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That's a beautiful analogy and it really helps to clarify. So, Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. So then what came next as far as, you know, the way that you're supporting not only children inside your home, but children outside your home? Yeah. So <laughs> running that event was a big part of it. And then I just took a step back and 
and looked at what had come out of that event and just created this, this one model to kind of describe like that we see on the surface, what we see on the surface is those things that uh, hyperactivity, right. But what's underneath that usually is skills that might be lagging or need support, or maybe there's some that are great skills, but like underneath that is the skills that are driving those things that we see on the outside. And underneath that is what's going on in the body's physiology. So then when we look to support these kids, I think it starts a lot with understanding what's going on in the, in the development and the physiology, and then how you can support growing skills and making sure, like you just said, the really critical element all wrapped up in a warm, a warm and connected co-regulated relationship. And it, it, it can, I think for for many parents, yeah, that is a journey that's really important and and doesn't come as instinctually as you might assume that it does. Does that mm-hmm. make sense? Because we all, mm-hmm. I think, come with our own history of and and perhaps even injuries and and you can't give away what you don't have. So if you're trying to give away a, a lot of compassion and mm-hmm. um, you haven't received that yourself, it can be really difficult. Right. So um, what you just described even there Mm -hmm. is so helpful to that end. Right. How do you do that? How do you grow these skills as your own, as your own parent to provide that context? Because kids will make progress when they feel good about it, when they're feeling supported and connected. Um, And that's a wonderful starting point. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. It's great. And then, you know, in thinking about uh, how to support children. So, you know, we've already talked a little bit about the specialists and the professionals who come and support as the team, growing that team. Mm-hmm. And then what are some of the things that you did in your own home as far as systems? Because I think this is another place that parents can struggle. And whether, again, whether you have diagnoses or neurodiversity or not, as a parent, we have to come up with practical systems in the home in order to help our children. And they become even more essential if our child is struggling to regulate themselves, right? So something like just getting up and getting dressed in the morning can become uh, you know, a World War III. You know? And we don't, and nobody has time for that to happen every morning, right? Uh, in the home. So um, are there any you know, suggestions that you have there as far as how to you know, develop the systems, right? Develop the routines and the structures and the the things in place so that your child or your children um, can can function right in a way that's more smooth and conducive to starting the day off well and getting um, what they need to get done accomplished. Yeah. So one thing that can be really helpful is to make everything very visual, especially for for neurodiverse kids. Oftentimes they're they're really excellent visual learners, but so much of our society is is language auditory. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> auditory. So instead of making a list of something, maybe you have pictures of something, right? Or oftentimes Mm -hmm. for a clean room, for example, people will recommend take a picture of the room, what it looks like clean. And so then be able to point to that. This is what it is. I think also the idea of scaffolding, it's really important to recognize where your child is in their current ability level and and be okay with that and meet them where they're at. Yes. And- so when it comes to cleaning the room, right, the number of things that go into being able to do that is, is very, very large. So if they can't do all of those things at once, maybe scale it back to one thing that they can be successful at because they need to feel successful in order to make progress. Yeah. Um, 
I had a, does that help? I did. I did. Mm-hmm. Like practically speaking, I had a, a right. phase when we were really productive at cleaning the house where cleaning yeah. the house went from like, you know, just a challenge to mm-hmm. I literally one day stayed in bed on a Saturday morning while my kids had gotten up and spent 30 minutes or 40 minutes cleaning the house on their own, like doing their task. Mm-hmm. Like they knew what to do enough to do. that they just went and did it. And they knew that we were going to do it Saturday morning before we started the rest of the day. So they yeah. did it, they got it out of the way and then do it. But for families with neurodiversity, like often keeping that up is yes. the challenge. Yes. <laughs> it can happen once. <laughs> so it's like, we did that. It was great. I know the system. I figured it out. And now I have to keep on doing it. Well, that's kind of boring. Okay. So, <laughs> so we don't do that right now. Right. But it was helpful for a while. Sure, sure. And in some ways you have to change it up or you get to change it yeah. up, right? You get to, you know, change up whether it's the incentives or just change up, you know, the music that you're playing or change some element of it to keep it interesting and exciting try to make it a family game or a family, you know, project and figure out how to, how to keep it interesting for them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So you had mentioned earlier about, you know, helping your kids understand a little bit about what's going on for them. And Mm -hmm. so I'm curious, you know, how, you know, how you talk to your children about the neurodiversity and what you found to be helpful and not helpful. In, in talking with them about the differences and similarities. I don't get into that much of like a detail, I guess. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I, I don't? Sure. Mm-hmm. Well, the way I describe it for them or, or in conversations with them is just that highlighting that everybody has strengths and everybody has weaknesses. And so where, and so I'll point out like, you know, your sibling, you know, is really strong in that area and you are really strong in this area. And that's great. And where people need support, we provide support for them. Um, Mm -hmm. So I tend to, for the most part, keep it at that level. I do to describe like executive function, right? Like your ability to plan, prioritize or organize Mm -hmm. and, and like, okay, so we're having a difficulty in this, in this area, we'll bring in this idea to see if that works for us. And Mm -hmm. then we will, we'll learn from that experience and, and use it to keep on moving forward. So in general, Mm -hmm. the idea of using the growth mindset language is a really important aspect that I try to always bring on and not praise the end result, but praise Mm -hmm. the process to get there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 That's, that's great. Can you tell us a little bit about, you know, what growth mindset is again, for those who don't really know what that word means. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So Oh goodness! Maybe you'll remember who was the person who the name of yeah, uh, Karen Dweck, I believe. Thank you. Yes, yes, yes. Carol Dweck. <laughs> Karen, yes. yes, Carol Dweck. She is credited with doing a lot of the studies that just described fixed mindset versus growth mindset. So fixed mindset has this general feeling of I was born the way I am, and I'm not going to be able to change it. And no matter how hard I try, it just is what it is. And what she found is that when people look at it from that perspective, they tend to not try for like. Uh, and their end point is not Mm -hmm. at the same point as someone who has what is called growth mindset, which is just the idea that, that if things can be hard and I can improve, I'm not Mm -hmm. set in stone. I Mm -hmm. can practice and I can learn to do different things or hard things. And so Mm -hmm. when you're focused or working with a growth mindset, it is more about noticing the process, like the starting point or the ending point isn't necessarily as, as important as the fact that 
no matter what effort you're putting in, you're learning and you're growing and you're accepting, you're celebrating that progress along the way. And it just helps people to increase their resilience to be able to try new things and challenging things. And because there's that openness to do that, right, they mm-hmm. can tend to tend to have a different experience okay. in life. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Do you agree? yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. I- after college is when I first started to hear more and more about growth mindset yeah, about you know 20 so years ago. And it it just kind of rocked my world in that because I grew up, I think like many of us, right? Thinking and be feeling like, okay, you either got it or you don't. You know, you're either talented in something or you're not. And that really, yeah, really opened the doors to the the reality, right? That we can all get better at whatever we practice and work hard at. And in, you know, helping yeah, helping myself first, right? To to kind of embrace this, like made all the difference in how hard I was on myself, right? And how, um, you know, the whole, you know, recovering perfectionist journey, right? And being able to to talk myself through things so then I could support and encourage, you know, others, you know, around me in the same way, uh, rather than in that fixed, you know, it's, you got it or you don't, right? Um, mm-hmm. But uh, like you said, it, it it is such a, a powerful way to to talk about, and I use I do the same thing in talking first about strengths because we all have them, right? With kids and families, and then figuring out, you know, with our weaknesses, how can our strengths help the weak areas? How can we use the things that we're good at and are easy for us to work on the things that are a little bit harder? And like you yeah. said, it's okay because we all we all need help in something, and so that uh, yeah, that that mindset is is a powerful way to embrace it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Great. Great. Well, I see you as a mom changing the world, you know, using your voice in incredible ways as um, an ADHD leader in supporting moms and dads with, you know, the journey that their children are on as a founder of, you know, the, the, the summits and the workshops where families can not just have to struggle and do their own research, but they can actually have somebody guide them through, you know, creating that action plan. Can you give us, you know, a couple of tips on how you do that as you juggle your own family mm-hmm. and your, you know, and find joy in all that you're doing? Yeah, absolutely. So you mentioned um, the action plan, and I'll describe that for a brief moment, and then yeah. also talk about about how t- to balance all of those things, right? So sure. that action plan, and maybe I should call it a support plan, but it's really designed to help people to reach out to professionals that will help them to get a bit of a, a complete picture of what's going on for their kiddo. And then from there, pick and manage the support options that you might bring into play at different times. So it's like being that bus driver, right? Who right. do you bring on the bus when? Like, how do you find the people who who are helpful the most? Like what logistics are involved in doing that? And where? how do you start mm-hmm. at the beginning? Because that's a mm-hmm. secret too, that I think many people there's kind of almost a progression to development, right? And sometimes right. it depends on who you meet. You might be starting at the end um, mm-hmm. and not necessarily getting at starting at the beginning. And mm-hmm. then the result is just frustration because those building blocks to get to that end point aren't there yet. Right. Um, right. So I've been developing that over the past year or so while being a mom to the four, four kids, <laughs> elementary school age kids. Um, yeah. But it was a, a passion project to some degree too, because I had to figure out how to support these kids. And it was just right. incredibly difficult. And so to balance everything though, with like trying to do this and to be with my kids, I think there are a few keys. One 
is you can't do it alone. So right. sometimes people will be like, you do so much. It's like what we what I have to realize too, or explain to people like my mother actually helps a lot in my house. Yeah. And so she's a part of the team and like a part of the yes. village to be able to yes. do that because no, I couldn't cook all of the meals and everything. And so she helps with some of that. And with four kids that get driven to mm-hmm. appointments, she's around to also help with that part and the logistics. And and we've learned over time to use her strengths and my strengths, like in different ways. And to use that as a part of the team too. Like she's really good at making sure kids sit down and do their homework. And I am like, Mm -hmm. that it doesn't work. (laughs) That is not my strength. (laughs) So I'm so grateful that she's a part of the team here too. So build out your own support system where possible as well. Yeah. And I'll jump in. It's really great when it can be family. I love that you have, you know, a family member who can do that. And, and moms are wonderful, aren't they? <laughs> when they can support us in that way. Yes. yes. And then if you don't happen to have, you know, a mother or a sister or someone who can, you know, step in in that way, you know, there are, you know, there are pro- professionals or people out there who can, you can hire, you can, or barter with, right. To bring them into your home for so a few hours in the day, maybe if you need the help with the cooking or the meals, you know, you, you know, find a way to outsource, you know, that piece of it, or, or maybe you need a tutor to come to your house, you know, for those few hours, you know, the, the after school hours to help manage that, that homework time. And so you hire a tutor who can, you know, be in, responsible for that piece of what happens as maybe you make dinner or you, you know, uh, work on something else that, you know, the family needs. So that's, that's a great tip, I think, in, in building, you know, not only the professional team to work with your child, but the practical team, right, to work with the family. Right. And manage all the logistics because it can just be, yeah. it's a lot to manage all at once. Right. Um, and then the other part is your like the mental space and being present, oh, yes. like yes. slowly over time, developing this ability to be in the moment and be understand kind of what a mindfulness practice is. And mm-hmm. I had to go through a formal mindfulness practice for a little while mm-hmm. to, to get some training and understanding it. And yeah. then I think it became more easy to, to just kind of take that approach to life in general. And remind yeah. myself to be present in the moment, this moment with my kids. And that when I did that, the connection part was there more, which opened up more time, like mm-hmm. outside of the moment, because they weren't working overtime to get the connection <laughs> yeah. that they're missing. Yeah. Exactly. Or acting out because any attention is better than no attention. Exactly. Great. <laughs> you got it. So, so yeah. So now the business part looks like there's the action plan and then a membership that is designed to help like the action plan. It's just to put together that team mm-hmm. the membership might be, might be to help with understanding IEPs and what do you bring to an IEP table and like kind of a bunch of the, the other parts, mm-hmm. but it's a, it's a really learning group. Yeah. Whereas I think that the work that you do is really in, intensive and to like support. Is that right? Yeah, to like yeah. to help people grow internally. Right. Um, and that right. is really important part of the picture. As well. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. For kind of giving us the, the reminder to build, you know, that practical support piece of it. And that's kind of the external side, but not to lose sight of the internal, right? The uh, mental health space. And sometimes as parents, you know, we do need to take that mindfulness course, right? And there are some really good ones. Mindfulschools.org, I believe, is the, the website, is the one, one of the ones I took that I really love. Because it's self-paced, it's you can do it on your phone. You know, you can, you know, really get a couple of weeks in to to feel like you are on that journey of being more mindful and present. 
because that, like you said, is, is the foundation, you know, for everything else that, that happens in your home. And as parents, we set that tone. And so if we can set that more mindful and aware tone, we can help our children do the same. And then, yes, it's great that yeah, you have a way for families to practically support each other, you know, to do, you know, both of those things. And, you know, when there, there was a, a piece that I wanted to flag and of course it, <laughs> it'll come back to me, but um, yes, I think that having all of those pieces is important. Oh yes. I've done an episode. I've done a few episodes that address some of these things that we're talking about. So I recently did a, a panel episode with Amy and Helen Panos, and we talked about IEPs and what all of that means, you know, having an educational tutor. Uh, in in the mix, having uh, a parent, you know, the parent piece and how to kind of bring a lot of those things together. So check that out um, in this, you know, earlier in this season. And then uh, Lara Dawn, who, you know, brought uh, you and I together, also did a great episode in talking about a lot of the uh, internal piece uh, of it, that the mindset, right, the growth mindset and changing our mindset is highly, highly, highly needed. And very important, and you know, we have this the summit that she does as a, a place that I'm speaking in on sensory processing. So look out for mm-hmm. calmingtheadhdfamily.com. Uh, you can backslash Akua to register for that, and it's free um, March 21st through 28th. But you can get a VIP pass, and you can have access to it anytime that you would like. So. Thank you for reminding me to share some of those other ways that you can check that out at Moms Changing the World. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you cover a great breath and I've learned so much from the episodes that I've listened to. Thank you. I appreciate that. Great. So as we're winding down now, I like, you know, ending with the, you know, the self-care piece, you know, what you do to make sure that you're staying grounded and you're staying present with your children. So what are, you know, the, the self-care pieces in your you know, life or tips that you have to prioritize them? Tips that you have to prioritize self-care. So I think my initial understanding of self-care looked something like, well, you take the time to go get your nails done or mm-hmm. <laughs> something kind <laughs> of like that. And then with the logistics of having four kids in four years, that just wasn't a realistic opportunity that was mm-hmm. provided. So the idea of what self-care is for me had to had to shift to be something different. And what it became mm-hmm. is, is more proactive strategies to help keep my nervous system calm throughout the day. Yeah. Um, and switching from, I will respond when there's like a trigger that says I need to respond to like, mm-hmm. this is just something I need to build into everyday life. So things like maybe just box breathing or, or that's one example of something that I incorporated that then what it did was allow me to, in the moment, just be calmer. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think it's a combination of being figuring out what do I need in my life at this moment to be proactive. And for me, it has to change. I need the variety or else I'll get bored of it. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And that's okay. Like coming to the point where understanding that's all right. Right. Um, Embracing it. (laughs) Embracing it. Right. Exactly. (laughs) And so being proactive and that mindfulness part, right. Just being present Mm -hmm. and allowing myself to be present. Like that's the best kind of self-care that I feel like that I've found so far is how do I incorporate these little things into the way I approach life? Um, mm-hmm. that makes life sustainable in general. 
Yeah. It's not just a one-time thing. It's like uh, sprinkled throughout the day, essential part of the day. Right. Right. I like that so much because it's so important for us to keep kind of not only get ourselves to a calm place, but keep ourselves right at that, that present place. And yeah, even just recently, you know, we, I, the last big trip that we took was to Hawaii. And so I bought a scrub, one of these like floral Hawaiian smelling scrubs. And so I realized that I, it felt like I brought a bit of that special vacation and I brought a bit of Hawaii home with me. And so now I mindfully, every time I use the scrub, you know, allow those scents and that aroma and that, you know, fragrance and the, the tactile of the scrub on the, my skin to just transport me back to that happy place, right? Back to that relaxation, back to that calm. And so, like you said, and that, you know, I can do that every day or multiple times a day if I want, right? It doesn't yeah. necessarily have to be as, uh, something that I go out of my house to do. But um, I think the, the proactive piece of it is also great. I haven't really thought of it in that way, but you're right that you have to look at how can I prepare myself, prepare my mind, prepare my body to hopefully prevent some of the the breakdown and the fallout, right? That can happen when I'm not in my, you know, bringing my best self to my kids and my spouse and my, my life. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I love that. Yeah. Um, as you were describing it, the way you just <laughs> described everything, oh my God, that feels yes. good. That's right. <laughs> I need to go. I need to go right now. <laughs> Get a scrub. <laughs> Use it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Good. And so our last question is the overflow abundance question, which is kind of the theme for our year. And so in, you know, in 2022, I'm curious what overflow and abundance means for you. I thought about that. You know what? I had a hard time figuring it out because I feel like my answer to that would have been different just a few weeks ago, given what's going on in the world right now. It can change. Yeah. (laughs) So overflow and abundance in 2022. The place that I would focus on is connection. Mm -hmm. So I think that I would, would, like, as you're mentioning that word, Mm -hmm. I'm thinking, how can I apply it to an abundance of feeling connected with other humans around me. Like mm. that, that's what it, it, it says to me at the moment is like, yeah. that's what's needed because we're in difficult times right now. And I mm-hmm. think that's going to be the, the key to help us get through. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been a, a couple of years of disconnection and a couple of years of major interruption and distancing, right? Where thankfully, you know, we're in in a place where we're, you know, things are changing, right? And then we're in more in that recovery and more in that healing mode. And so that's a great and beautiful reminder for all of us to think about the connection and the reconnection to the people in our lives, to the communities around us, in an intentional way, because I think this definitely gave us an opportunity to be more intentional and purposeful about where and how we connect with the, the community and the village around us, how we want that to look, yes, how we want that to feel, how we want that to be for our, not only ourselves, but our kids. And so that's a great way to apply, you know, that overflow and abundance, you know, goal, right. And, and blessing. Yes. Yeah. You describe it so beautifully. <laughs> Thank you. Great. So then as we are, you know, closing up, why don't you remind us again how we can connect with you or if you know moms want to reach out and 
and they have that ADHD what now question you know that they're asking you know how can they connect with you yeah so on any of the social media it, it's ADHD what now for the web page it's the opposite it's what now adhd.com so you can go and and check that out what now adhd.com or the YouTube mm-hmm. channel ADHD what now or Facebook group ADHD what now so yeah. And I think it is my passion just to help people understand what's going on for their kiddos by engaging, you know, support structures that help so that they can, they can thrive as a family and, and the children can really live up to their best selves when we help them to remove any of the roadblock roadblocks standing in their way. So. Awesome. Thank you so much. Much appreciation and much overflow and abundance to you in this year. You too. Akila. <laughs> That was my special time with Veronica Hunter, who has so much to share and such great advice and support for all parents, but those especially navigating parenting children with ADHD. If you're looking for those specific episodes that I referenced, the Amy Kay and Helen Panos episodes are episodes 42, which we had in part A and part B. And then Lara Dawn is episode 43. And by the time this one comes out, there will also be a great one by Sarah Nikarak, who also has a wonderful support around neurodiversity. So look out for that one as well. If I can support you with your parenting journey in being more calm and present with your child, please reach out to us here at momsctw at gmail is the email or reach out through Instagram and be calm underscore parenting for more information. And we do have a Facebook group, Moms Changing the World podcast that you can hop in on and be in touch with me as well. I would be honored to support you in your parenting process to integrate a lot of the things that we've talked about in today's episode. So I wish you a much calm and joy as you move forward into your week. Thank you. And we'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Moms Changing the World with host Akua Walker. The information shared on this show is meant for educational purposes only and not intended as a substitute for medical intervention or professional therapy. All views shared on the show are that of the speakers only and do not represent any institution. To be a part of the community, visit www.momschangingtheworld.org. There you'll find ways to connect with and support the moms we interview and find out how to work with Akua as a parenting coach. Join us next time for more encouragement and support to be a mom changing the world, one child at a time, one day at a time. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks for listening.